Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. Had a uh, great night last night. Uh, how many of you have seen the uh, new X-Men? A few of you. Uh, I got a phone call relatively late in the evening last night from my son, Stephen. Wanted to know if I wanted to go see it. And um, definitely grateful for having had, you know, I, I definitely uh, try to get things done early. So if there are issues, uh, especially when it comes to something like a sermon, it's done. So I was able to do that. Absolutely blow away movie. Um, for those of you that uh, are in any form of management or leadership, a lot of great leadership principles uh, last night when it comes to things like humility and working together. And uh, yeah, I was thinking maybe taking the staff. But uh, anyway, good time last night. Uh, we also got to get our uh, worship uh, team and our tech team out for dinner on Friday night just to kind of honor them for all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. And uh, got to learn a lot of things. Uh, you know, we had a little bit of time of sharing, and people wanted to share some funny stories, and not quite sure why, but Brian Craig came up quite a bit. Dessa had a, a, a rather interesting one that she shared, and then Gina seemed to be the other focal point. Um, I, I'm not going to get into any of the uh, specifics on that, but it was definitely a good time. Uh, also finding out, too, it was kind of cool seeing some of the youth uh, out there ushering, and we had Donovan back there working with the sound team this morning. One of the things we found out on Friday, the sound team's back there going after it, come on, is that, you know, we all are blessed with a lot of different talents in a lot of different areas, and it's just really awesome to see when we're using them for God, amen? I know with uh, Ben, I was a little surprised in that uh, he has been doing tech work for, since he was 19 years old, straight through in the church, without a break. I think that deserves another round of applause, amen? You know, we're, uh, we're in our series on follow, and uh, I had the opportunity to listen to Marcos here the other day. I uh, was uh, in the West Side, I believe, for his, when you guys were out at the park. And uh, some great stuff in there. I think the, the big takeaway for me, I love the... Uh, quote that he had about Thomas Edison as he watched his plant where all of his inventing and everything took place burn, you know, the whole bit about, you know, telling his son to go get his uh, mom, he says, you know, she'd never seen another fire like this. I, I just appreciated the attitude, but even more so the aspect of him feeling like there is great value in disaster and our mistakes, especially when in, in the situation here, just, you know, mistakes being burned up and equating that with Jesus and Really, how we are, who we are, before we actually are clothed in Christ, knowing that, you know, we've all got issues and situations from our past, different things that have taken place, mistakes that we've made, but it's so incredible to know that through Christ, through the waters of baptism, our mistakes are burnt, and we're a new, we're a new creation before God. You know, Matt Borger, I thought, did a phenomenal job here uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, in the same series, his was on the next steps. And really looking and thinking through the implications of that. You know, he had that little video where everybody kind of came together. One guy started dancing, and then more guys started dancing. And uh, kind of a funky illustration, but it really made a point on that. It's amazing how if one person takes a stand for something and does something kind of against the grain, how others will follow. And, and looking at Jesus' uh, mission and the methodology and just the small group of people that he worked with, it was amazing how that message got out to the entire known world at that point in time, which is really encouraging. 
You know, today uh, we're, we're going to be looking at fearless. That's our uh, next segment here. And uh, no snakes today, no tarantulas, no mice. A uh, little bit different message. Uh, teams, I'm sorry. Um, I've got something planned for the next one uh, that's entitled Unfollow that I'll be doing. But anyway, really thinking about the topic, fearless. You know, it's something that as men, I think, you know, we're kind of wired. We got that testosterone. We want to engage. We want to, you know, be the, the soldier, the, the victor. The, you know, I think that's why we, we really enjoy the action-adventure type movies or the sci-fi stuff like X-Men. And just really seeing people do things that are incredible. We love the hero. But, you know, we need to really just get down to just basics on this. When it comes to fear, what fear is grounded in. And I think in this day and age, there are so many things that are unknown. We're going to talk about it a little bit more as we go, but it seems like on so many fronts, on a physical level, we have threats to contend with on a daily basis. You know, we have ourselves to take care of. That means we need to have a job, and there's somebody we answer to, and there's challenges and specifics there, and what if we don't get along, and there's personality conflict. And, you know, I remember my dad as a kid, he just like morphed on Sunday nights. It wasn't a good kind of morph. <laughs> you know, he was in sales. And needless to say, he loved the weekend. So he didn't have to produce. But come Sunday night, it just kind of kicked in. You could just see his demeanor change, knowing that the next day he was going to have to get up, he was going to be held accountable, he was going to have to provide for his family. And that was a scary thought sometimes, especially with some of the different lines of work that he was involved with, the different things that he represented. It was just very challenging for him. You know, just really thinking that through, how many of us on a daily basis wake up without absolutely nothing to fear? No rejection, no issues in the workplace, no issues in the family. Are there any of you that wake up daily without any form of fear? Amen. There's probably a few of you that are thinking, well, yeah, I do, but I'm going to raise my hand. Somebody will doubt it. So you're afraid to raise your hand. But anyway, (laughs) kind of makes my point. I've got a video that I want us to uh, watch here this morning, though. It's rather interesting. For me, the first time I watched it, and I've got this issue with heights, I'll confront it, but seeing this individual over 100,000 feet above the earth step out of his little capsule, and then that pause as he's looking down, it just kind of, my adrenal glands just (laughs) dump. You know, the heart starts to crank, just watching this thing. So I want us to watch this for a minute, and I've got some things that I'd like to uh, bring to our attention after we see the video. Drop her away. 
Kind of wild. Broke the sound barrier. Mach 1.4, over 800 miles per hour. There was a, a segment there. There's actually the, uh, in a video that it deals with the entire drop, and you kind of saw a snippet of it. There was a point there where he was kind of tumbling head over foot, and he was talking about how afterwards in the experience that in a pressurized suit, he could feel nothing when it came to the wind, the speed, or any of that, and he put out a right hand to try and stabilize, and that didn't work. He put out a left hand, and at one point he said, if I don't, if I don't get a handle on this, I'm passing out. I'm gone. You know, it was amazing to kind of see him dial it all in, and obviously it ended up well. And, you know, you think about all the prep that went into that, all the components, all the people, all the support, all the money. And with all that, it could not have turned out the way that it did. But, you know, it's amazing. That is not something that he would have attempted on his own. But what we do on a daily basis has so many things that can take us out, whether it's physically or spiritually, Yet there are those instances where we really feel like we can do it alone or we don't need anybody else. And I think the bottom line with that is that in each and every one of us, in our DNA, we're programmed, one, to follow. You know, we're not like some of the wild animals out there in Africa where they're born, man, and they better, right out of the chute, they better be running, right? They, they need to be good to go. I mean, human beings, we're probably the slowest around when it comes to developmentally being able to function on our own. I mean, we are absolutely helpless at birth. And so with that, you know, what are some of the things, I mean, as a parent or as a child growing up, you remember the situations. You know, first time you got on a swing set, is it a little unnerving? You know, figuring out how to make it go back and forth and whoa, you know, whether or not you're going to stay in there or not. And then, you know, if you're like my son, uh, it's never good enough. You got to figure out a way of cranking it further. I remember at one point we had a uh, townhouse out in Chino Hills, or actually out in uh, Ontario, real small backyard. I don't know why I put a swing set in. It probably wasn't the wisest thing in the world. I think it was 20 feet from the uh, sliding glass window to the block wall with a swing set set in the middle. And one day I, I, I hear, help, help. <laughs> I hear my son yell. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I go in the backyard. I don't see him. I'm all, where are you? So I'm over here. He got that thing cranking and he jettisoned over the wall. I mean, he jumped out of the swing over the wall. Needless to say, I didn't demonstrate that for him, so I don't know who the heck he was following on that one. But, you know, that's kind of how it works. You know, we take our first steps. You know, mom and dad are there, and they they got the little hands on their fingers, and, you know, come on, Junior, and try getting them going. And we model everything for our kids. You know, then unfortunately we get to a point where we don't realize we're modeling, and then our kids start imitating maybe not the greatest behavior in the world. You know, the way we talk to each other, uh, different things can be said. Uh, I remember, you know, the shock factor on a couple times of stuff that came out of my kid's mouth, but this was before I was a Christian, you know, and needless to say, when it came to that means of imitation, I was the one being imitated in those situations too. But really understanding that, I mean, we, we've got all kinds of guidance. I mean, what's school all about? Someone that's gone down the road before you teaching you what they've learned. And, you know, and there are any number of you that have taken what you've learned and you turn around and you teach. It's such an incredible profession. You know, there's coaches. We've got a number of you in this group that function in that capacity, volunteer or otherwise, where you're coaching other kids, helping them to take on a skill, something that 
they view as something they want to pursue, uh, pursue something mean, meaningful. And then as adults, those concepts continue in the workplace. There's always somebody else that knows a little bit more than you do that's showing you how to do things. It's just kind of how it works. And when it comes to following Jesus, it's really kind of interesting what he attaches to following him, what that's all about. You know, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus calls us to follow him. But he doesn't say, follow me, and I'll make you a better person. And you know, I think there, there's sometimes we enter Christianity wanting that. We want to be a better person. We want to have a better marriage. But he doesn't say, follow me, and I'll give you a better marriage. You know, and some of the best people I know are followers of Jesus. I mean, it just kind of goes hand in hand. He doesn't say, follow me, and I'll give you a better life. He doesn't say, follow me, and I'll get you a better afterlife. And, you know, I think looking out here this morning, I would venture to guess most of you are here because you want to follow Jesus. Amen? We want to follow Jesus. But where is Jesus leading? You know, it's kind of like uh, what we just saw there with Felix Baumgarten jumping out of that stratus. We view following Jesus like Felix jumping out of that pod that he was in. You ever experience those periods of time in life where you feel like you're kind of in a free fall? Maybe things that have gotten a little beyond you, a little out of control. So when it comes to Jesus and him calling us to follow him, what's the payoff? You know, is it being a better person? Is it going to heaven after we die? Is it a pain-free life? If you follow Jesus, you will be a better person. If you're really following him, you're imitating him. Amen? That's what I love about this fellowship. So many of you in the various areas that you've engaged and you follow Christ. Really appreciate the two me's last night at the youth ministry night. It was awesome. And it's so obvious to see. Yeah, that's, that's clap worthy. <laughs> love you guys. But, you know, just seeing the passion that they have for our youth. I mean, it's awesome. Seeing the passion that so many of you have for your communities with the various forms of outreach that you're involved with, meeting the needs of the poor, feeding the homeless, that, that is so encouraging on a heart level for me, and I know it is that for you when you look around, because this is not the norm in society. And you know, we're not promised a pain-free life. You know, ultimately that's okay, because Jesus offers so much more. He offers us a faith that if we're willing to grab it, if we're willing to imitate him, he wants to do something extraordinary for us. He wants to do something extraordinary with your life. Give you a life that's freed from fear, free from being controlled by fear. You know, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there were a couple of groups. He had his, uh, the locals in the community that he would be addressing. They would kind of follow him around through town. They'd sit down and listen to hear what he had to say and, there was that occasional meal that he'd provide. And then he had his 12. And it's kind of interesting, whatever the group size was that he preached to, whether it was an intimate sit-down with two or three of his guys or thousands of people, the message he preached was always the same. Good news about God, good news about what he was to bring, and the need to preach and heal. And that's exactly what he did wherever he went. You know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus' guys are approaching the finish line. 
And what he tells them probably won't be something that this current generation experiences in their life. And I don't know what's in, in store for the next one down the road here. So I don't want to scare you off with this. But this was the reality that they were faced with in Matthew 10, verse 16. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew 10, verse 16. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. Because people will hand you over to the Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. You know, in this uh, verse 19 here, I was kind of thinking about it. It says, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak. And he's going to kind of fill them in on what to say. And I've been thinking, I'm not worried about what I'm going to say or what you're going to tell me to say, but how about you just keep me from being handed over to them? I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that save us all a lot of grief? Now he continues in verse 20, he says, because, you know, when it comes to that, not worrying about what to say, because you're not speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. You know, again, I was kind of thinking, well, speaking for me, how about interceding to keep me out of prison? I don't know that I would have been a whole, you know, super fired up sitting there listening to this uh, kind of him, his spouse on things here. Verse 21 says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will even rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This brings us to kind of him closing things out here in verse 28. And this is really important for all of us here this morning. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, it's interesting the things he lists here. He tells them multiple times, do not be afraid. Now, mind you, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be hated, but do not be afraid. In verse 29, he continues, he says, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Probably a little bit easier for him today to keep track of mine than it was 20 years ago, but anyway. Verse 31 says, So don't be afraid, therefore you are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. When bad things happen. You know, I had the opportunity Friday morning to spend several hours with Roger Lamb. Uh, many of you have been following uh, his son's David Ordeal on Facebook. Uh, leukemia, that going into remission, having a year without any real issues, and then within weeks, back at him full bore, and he died. You know, I really appreciate Roger's perspective. You know, he talked about uh, the band that he was in, Brownbird, and all the friends that came to support him. And uh, literally, there were anywhere between 40 and 60 people in the hospital on a day, basically keeping a daily vigil with his son. His son didn't have insurance. Um, there was over $60,000 that his friends raised to provide for his medical care. And then there was a, uh, a get-together uh, after he had passed, and uh, he, David's wife's parents were a little concerned in that, you know, they knew Roger was a minister and uh, they had planned this big send-off, this big memorial where 
It was a theater that uh, his band had raised funds for to keep open. And uh, so they had a huge room upstairs where 200 people met for the memorial. And then there were four bands downstairs that kind of played all of his favorite songs. There were over 1,000 people in attendance. The thing that encouraged me so much about what Roger had to say was that he totally believed that God was in control, and that gave him peace. Even though the outcome wasn't exactly what he prayed for, he'd been so encouraged by the things that had taken place up to that point and what's continuing to go on, and he knows people will be brought to Christ through it. You've got to appreciate that heart. You know, bad things happen. We've all been on the receiving end at some point in time or another. You lose a loved one, you lose a job. You know, I remember uh, back when I was working for Hummer, Hummer a number of years ago, when the bubble burst and things started going downhill, for whatever reason, uh, my immediate boss, general sales manager, seemed to think that the way of turning things around financially with the dealership was to basically plug me in there 24-7. And I was very clear when I interviewed with them, I needed my Wednesday nights and my Sundays off which, uh, you know, they fussed a little bit about on the front side, but that all worked out. But towards the end of my time there, it, it basically started to infringe on what would have taken place with my midweeks. And uh, I let him know I needed to be there at church. I needed the fellowship. The person I was at, the dealership that he had grown to love was because of you guys and Jesus Christ. He didn't seem to care a whole lot about that and basically told me that if I didn't make the room and the schedule that it wasn't going to work out, I went to the general manager General manager's opinion was that, uh, you know, he needed to support his number two guy there in command and uh, found it hard to believe that he had me working every night, even though that was the new schedule. And needless to say, we parted ways. And, you know, there, there is that little bit of concern, okay, so now what? But, you know, God had provided that for me, and I knew God was going to provide the next chapter for me as well, which he did. And all that led up to me actually being ushered back into the full-time ministry after moving to Denver a few years back. And I'm grateful that hindsight really helps looking forward. Amen? Jesus, again, challenging us to not to fear. Fear not, I am with you. The you know, message of Jesus is fear not, don't be afraid when bad things happen. Matthew 6, verse 30, kind of gives us some additional insight as to who God is and how God feels about us. In Matthew 6, it reads, If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These, th- these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. I don't know what, what does it say in the NIV or NLT? Pagans, okay. So in the Holmans, it states that these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So what is kind of the implication about our thoughts? Dominates the thoughts of unbelievers. Should it dominate our thoughts? But I think that can happen when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of Christ, when we lose sight of the victories that have taken place in our lives. And for those of you that have yet to be surrendered to Christ to make that decision, just keep in mind you're walking it on your own. You're doing it alone. And the likelihood of what you're trying to facilitate and accomplish in your life in the way of change will not happen. You might experience it for a brief period of time, but it will not be the way that you close out your life. I really want to encourage you. Talk to those that are here, that are part of the church, that have brought you out. 
get them to share with you their story, what they've been through, the transition, the transformation that took place through Jesus Christ. So he continues. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And I think this is something we can get a little fuzzy on sometimes too. What are our needs? And I think we can can kind of get off track with our relationship with God because maybe there's certain things we're praying for. God, you know I need this. I need to win that million-dollar lottery. I need the new Benz. I need the new G-Wagon. I need the new G4. I need, 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 need. Really? What do you really need? And God knows that. Yet because he doesn't answer really in a lot of ways what are selfish prayers, we get upset with God. What's up with this guy, man? He doesn't hear me. I've been praying this for 20 years, and he still hasn't delivered. That's where we can go. Jesus is trying to get us on track here. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, our Father knows. Knows our needs. He knows exactly what it's going to take for us to get to heaven. He knows what our confidence needs. And that confidence needs to be not in the one that's going to destroy us, which is Satan. He's the destroyer. He's the accuser. He wants to take you down. And this is his realm. So he can come after us physically here and ultimately keep us for eternity when it comes to our souls. But God has given us the means of unshackling ourselves from that particular path. God knows us by name. He wants to protect us, and he's demonstrated that by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And this is where following Jesus ultimately leads. It leads us to be fearless, courageous. This is the definition of it. Courageous, resolute in the face of danger or challenges. But why are we afraid? Maybe it's a matter of you being down to your last paycheck, your last solution, your last idea. You know, each day seems to bring fresh reasons for doubt, for fear. Slowdowns in the economy, flare-ups in the Middle East, turnovers at headquarters, downturns in the housing market, upswings in the global warming, breakouts of terrorist cells. You know, and the, the latest one is that new virus, MERS, that's heading our way, or it's actually showing up stateside. All these things can distract us. All these things can overwhelm us. You know, if you've been watching the news lately, there's things there that have been unsettling. You know, the situation at UCSB up at Santa Barbara. You know, I, I believe the body counts up to seven. You know, a guy shows up, kind of disgruntled about his life, and just starts shooting people up there on that campus. We had locally here, and we're actually going to be taking up a contribution for this family here a little bit later today, a gentleman in Torrance whose wife murdered their three children. The world lives in fear. The world's tormented without Christ. And just realizing that God is aware of that. God knows our needs. God wants us to have the best, but we've got to be willing to look to him. It goes without saying, fear is a huge component in our lives. But how about on a heart level? What are some of the things that we deal with? You know, this week, actually, every time I sit down to prepare a sermon, I'm not uptight about when I finally get up here, but when I sit down to start working on a message, fear creeps in. 
Am I going to have the right thing to say? Am I going to have the right scriptures to use? Is it going to be relevant? Will people be impacted? You know, then, you, then, then it's that, that, that kind of that balancing act. Well, if I say this, I may upset somebody here, and, but if I don't say that, I may upset somebody over here. And Fear kind of gets in there as you're sitting down and you're trying to go through all this stuff. And there are times I've just got to pray. It's like, God, get whatever's going on in my head out. Let me focus on you. Let me focus on your scriptures, and you'll do the rest. But it's, it's, something, it's something consistently that plagues me. I'd like to say I was beyond it, sometimes more so than others. But this is just a reality on a hard level what I have to deal with. Teens, you guys ever have any issues with the fear of fitting in? About the clothes that you know, your parents buy you? So maybe you don't have a whole lot of say in that process. Any of you, get, any of you had situations where you've had to move from a school before you wanted to move from a school, you were established and had friends and had to start over? You know, how about just transitioning from like junior high to high school? A little, little fear involved with that? Because there's that unknown factor. You know, we want to belong, we want to fit in, we want to do the right thing, say the right thing, but in so many instances that controls us and we end up with not the outcome we're looking for. You know, for those of us a little older, is there that fear of finding a spouse or not finding a spouse? You know, single parents, is there the fear of going it on your own? I really want to lift you guys up. I mean, I appreciate the way that you dig in with God. And I know it's challenging trying to provide all that two parents are supposed to provide. I'm really encouraged by your faith and your wherewithal and really sticking to it. You know, getting back to the whole marriage thing, you know, fear of raising kids. My gosh, especially today. I thought it was bad when mine were growing up. I mean, it's just crazy today. Social media, you know, this whole, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to go off on a tangent. You know, marriage, those vows you take, in sickness and in health. You know, looking back, I remember getting married. Hey, man, I had a hard enough time taking care of myself. Now there's a spouse in the mix. I mean, and then the first kid's born. It's like, I never even held one of these things before. What the heck am I supposed to do with it? But I think really understanding that fear is powerful. And fear is unwilling to share the heart with happiness. You know, think about it. Do you ever see the two together? Can you be happy and afraid at the same time? How does that work? It doesn't, right? Can you have a clear thought process, clear thinking, and be afraid at the same time? Can you be confident and afraid at the same time? Can you be merciful and afraid at the same time? No. You know, we need to really think this through. Fear never saved a marriage. Fear never saved a business. Fear never saved a life. Fear never brought anyone to Christ. Fear never brought the gospel to a foreign country. Fear never met the needs of the poor or the needy. The bottom line is the thing that makes that happen is courage. Courage and faith accomplish that. Men and women who refuse to give in to what they couldn't see. Just out of curiosity, I'm thinking we may have a few of you in the mix. How many of you came to L.A. specifically to help the church? Take a look around. Why don't you guys stand up? Stand up so we can all get a look at you. I just want to say right now, I so 
so thank you and am grateful for the fact that you didn't allow fear to control your lives. Coming to something new, coming to something unknown, giving us the opportunity to hear the gospel. I was converted in December 10th of 1990, and it was because of people like you that brought the gospel to the area I was living in in Los Angeles. Amen? See, fear ultimately is about using the unknown or the unseen to control us, and Satan loves that. Fear wants to control us. It wants to imprison us. Jesus wants us to make a prison break. You know, think about it. Wouldn't it just be great to be able to walk out? A vision a day, just one day without fear of failure, rejection, and insecurity. We're going to take a look at this here in uh, Matthew 8, kind of get a little perspective on Jesus' guys after they had seen a whole lot of things go on. Chapter 4 follows Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, beginning of his ministry. Immediately, he goes out to the desert, and he's tempted by Satan. Satan was trying to imprison him. Satan was trying to create a situation where Jesus would make the wrong decision. We see him go on from that period of 40 days in the desert to preaching. One of the most incredible sermons ever, the Sermon on the Mount, giving us an overview of God's kingdom, giving us an overview of what life could be with, with Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew 8, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 4. I get an idea of that here, but uh, his guys had just witnessed all kinds of healing. There were lepers that had been cured. There were people that were lame, invalids that were able to walk or use their hands. Just a wide array of people that he had performed these miracles on. And after all that, just a little tired, figures it takes the guy away for a little bit of a retreat, you know, kind of get together, pray a little bit, hang out, and regenerate the batteries. So in uh, verse 23 of chapter 8, it says, Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. And in this passage, these are Matthew's words. He remembered the crazy waves, the bouncing boat, and he was very careful in the terminology he used here. It's interesting, he chose the word seismos in light of what was going on in the boat. A quake, a trembling eruption of sea and sky. You know, we, the term still used today, we have seismologists that tell us, you know, what the situation is with the earthquakes. We have seismographs that let us know, you know, hey, it's 6.9 or whatever the scale is that's used there. And it gives us a perspective on what Matthew and the, the other guys were going through here. They felt a seismos that shook them to the very core of their lives. And it's interesting, he used the word on only two other occasions. One was at the death of Jesus when Calvary shook, and again at Jesus' resurrection when the graveyard tremored. And I think ultimately what we can see with this is disciples, we can expect rough seas and strong winds from time to time. John 16 verse 33 says, And the world doesn't say you might not have, or you may have, or you could have trouble. It says in the world you will have trouble. And in Isaiah 43, please turn there with me. This is, this is such an incredibly encouraging passage. And this is what his guys had had the opportunity to see prior to their altercation in the boat. So turn there, scroll there. If you don't have a means of turning or scrolling, look on with your neighbor. It says, but now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. How cool is that? God ransomed us. 
This is letting us know about what was to take place at Calvary when he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. He knows us by name. Continues and says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And I read that, Noah comes to mind, Moses comes to mind, the parting of the Red Sea. And when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up by the flames. They will not consume you. You know, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I love the way they dealt with the king there. And that they wouldn't bow down and worship him. And even though they knew they were going to be thrown into this furnace, they'll let him know, you know what? God can save us. You know, whether God saves us or not, that's on him. We're not changing. We're not wavering in our conviction. We're not wavering in our view. We're not going to change up the love we have for God because of fear. We see God deliver them. For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored. This is God. The one that should be honored. Talking about how we are honored. I think this is the only time that he uses this in the first person. I think it's the only time we see this in the Bible like this. He says, I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. You know, as disciples of Christ, as Christ followers, people that will contract malaria, people that will bury children, battle addictions, and as a result, face fears. But it's not the absence of storms that sets us apart. It's who we go to in the storm. And who we go to is a peaceful Christ. Matthew 8, verse 24 says that Jesus was sleeping. You know, Mark 8, the uh, parallel passage on this, says Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Don't you care? You know, and it's kind of interesting. The first century boats, things haven't changed a whole lot in the fishing community over there. At the stern of the boat, there's a deck. They keep their nets under the deck. And they also have these leather bags of sand that they use for ballast to put in the front of the boat when it gets a little crazy. So the thing Jesus was probably using for a pillow was one of these bags of sand. But it's interesting. He was able to sleep amidst all that was going on. And the question that his guys had for him was, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. And in the Greek, drown, it's, it's perishing to death. So, don't you care? We're perishing to death. You guys were a little upset. And it's interesting, the line of questioning they could have had for the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, their discipler. They'd seen, keep in mind, all these various miracles. They don't ask Jesus about his strength. You know, Jesus, hey, man, can you uh, maybe dial this thing in a little bit, calm the storm? They don't ask him about his knowledge. You know, hello, Jesus, uh, are you aware of the storm? They don't question him on his know-how. Do you have any experience with storms? Instead, they raise doubts about Jesus' character. Don't you care? And this is exactly what fear does. It destroys our confidence in God's goodness. How many of you have ever experienced a time like this where you question whether or not God cared? 
whether or not God could hear you or was aware of your prayers. And, you know, we begin to wonder if God can sleep in our storms, if he permits storms after we've gotten baptized and become disciples and get into his boat, does he really care? And this is what fear does. Fear unleashes doubts, anger-stirring doubts. And some of us, it can turn us into control freaks. Do something about the storm is the demand of the question. Fix it or else. The bottom line is decisions made out of fear are never good. You know, we take things in our own hand. We don't wait on God. We're willing to compromise. We're willing to lower expectations. Ultimately, fear at its center, what it, what it is, is really just uh, this perceived sense of loss of control. You know, we saw in that video when Felix was kind of spinning out of control there, he thought he was dead. And when life spins wildly, ultimately what we do is we grab for a component of something we think that we can manage. You know, maybe it's our diet, or maybe it's the tidiness of a house, or maybe it's the armrest of an airplane when you go through a little bit of turbulence. Releases the tyrant within, and it also deadens our recall. You know, the disciples had all kinds of reasons to trust Jesus. You know, again, by now they'd seen him perform countless miracles, Matthew 4.23. But do the disciples remember the accomplishments of Christ? I think what happens with all of us is spirit ultimately ends up kind of stirring up this, this spiritual amnesia. You know, it, it dulls our, 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 our perspective and our view on past victories. How many of you would say that you've had a victory in Christ? Go ahead and take a look around. But I know if you're like me, there are those times where you lose sight, you forget. You forget what Jesus has done. It dulls our memory of this, this spiritual amnesia, dulls our memories of past victories with Christ. It makes us forget what Jesus has done. It makes us forget how good God is. You know, in his teachings, Jesus waged a war against fear. His most con- common command emerges from the, the, the fear not genre. Pretty interesting. The Gospels list some 125 Christ-issued imperatives. The number one, one, appears 21 times. That's where he urges us not to be afraid, do not fear, or have courage. And in contrast, it's to love God and your neighbor. That only appears eight times, on eight occasions. So, you know, if quantity were an indicator of anything, I, I venture to guess it's pretty obvious that Jesus views fear as being something pretty substantial. He takes fears, our fears seriously. You know, why would he leave us more direction about fear than anything else? One statement he made more than any other was, don't be afraid. You know, Jesus was constantly calling his followers to courage. Matthew 6.25, he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Matthew 14.27, take courage, I am here. John 14.1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. John 14.27, don't be troubled or afraid. Luke 24, 38, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? And I think the thing that's so obvious is Jesus doesn't want us to live in a state of fear. His question's a good one. He lifts his head from the pillow in the midst of the storm, and he asks, why are you afraid? I'm in the boat. I'm here. I'm with you. What have I been preaching? What have I demonstrated? Haven't I not proven to you that I'm there for you? And it's interesting, in Matthew 8, 26, it's not a question. He makes a statement. After the question, why are you afraid? He states with an exclamation point, you have so little faith. 
You know, again, can you imagine life without fear? This is the possibility that exists behind Jesus' question. Why are you afraid? You know, it's kind of like one swimmer saying to another swimmer, why are you wet? You're a swimmer, right? Why are you afraid? He's informed them about everything that's going to take place. He's demonstrated the, the miracles. He's been there with them. He's walking the same road. He's the one that's going to his death for them. Satan loves fear. He's constantly going to find ways to sneak in and get you off track. Joy-stealing worries, day-numbing dread, repeated bouts of insecurity that ultimately paralyzes. Really, we've got to understand, hysteria, these wild fears that we have, are not from God. 2 Timothy 1.7, this is a good one to write down. 2 Timothy 1.7 reads, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Where does that come from? It comes from God. Power, love, and self-discipline. That's what God wants us to hang on to. Fear may, fear, fear may ultimately fill our world, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. It doesn't have to fill our heads. It doesn't have to fill our minds. It will always knock on the door. Satan always will be out there as the accuser, as the destroyer. But Christ is out there too. That's who we need to turn to. Let's embolden our hearts with Jesus. Those do not fear statements. Let's hang on to those. If this is something you're plagued with, you've got a great place to start with some memory scriptures. What worries are you struggling with that you need to entrust to God? What can this group do to support you? You know, this thing I love about being a disciple, I don't have to do it on my own. Not only do I have Jesus Christ, but if I'm kind of wallowing around in the muck where I've lost sight of what Jesus has done in my life, there's someone else around saying, come on, dude, grab my hand, get up. You can do this. We can do this. We all can do this. The promise of Christ is simple. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He overcame the world. If we follow him, we can overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. 1 John 4, verse 18 says, Perfect love drives out fear. That love that Jesus Christ had for God was the thing that gave him the power to overcome the grave. It's the thing that gave him the ability to walk a sinless life so the grave wouldn't hold him. And that same love has given us something to imitate so that we can overcome as well. We're going to close out in the book of Acts here. In Acts 3, Peter and John were preaching the good news and healing the sick. Then in Acts 4, Peter and John were confronted for preaching the resurrection and the healing of a beggar. They were questioned the result of that questioning was they were threatened not to preach about Christ anymore. Needless to say, it wasn't something that they uh, took to heart at all. They continued. You know, I think we've got to be careful in this PC age where our First Amendment rights are being threatened. You know, it's amazing. We, we live in this age of tolerance as long as it's not about Christ. I mean, th th this country has done everything it's, it can do to squelch Christianity. We've taken it out of the school. We, We've shut down prayers, Ten Commandments, and court buildings are taken down because of a loud minority. I put before you something this morning that just hit me a few minutes ago, though. It's always the loud minority. What was it that changed the, the face of the first century? It was a loud minority. 
It was men and women that were emboldened by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, the message that was preached, to take a stand, a willingness to die for what they believed, that changed the face of the world, that changed the face of history, that changed our calendars. It was because of Jesus Christ and the stance he took and that loud minority. Jesus knew what he was doing. There was purpose behind that methodology. He knew if a small group would imitate him, they would have world impact. We've allowed fear to slip in. Remember Paul's admonition to Timothy? We've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, not fear and timidity. But I put before you today, the reason this building isn't full is because we've allowed that spirit of timidity to slip in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Young Christians, man, you guys are blowing the doors off the homes in your community when it came to getting the word of the gospel out there. I'll preach the word, I'll take you to the scriptures, but you know what, it's, it's on each and every one of us as whether or not we're going to embrace them or not and take a stand and do what Jesus has called us to. We're called to love God, we're called to love one another, we're called to use the self-discipline that Paul talked to Timothy about to aggressively go after a relationship with God and each other, and then and only then we'll be empowered the way our brothers and sisters were in the first century. Close it out here in Acts 4, verse 29. And this is after this crazy persecution that was going on. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And this is so cool. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Seismos. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with great boldness. Jesus teaches us not to be afraid. Jesus teaches us to follow him. Jesus teaches us to live an emboldened life of power. Life to the full. Life that, that can make a difference. With that, I'd like us to just bow our heads for a moment. Think about this and go to the Father in prayer. Now, Father, I'm so grateful for the Bible, so grateful for the men and women of the Old Testament that we can look to that took a, a stand for a promise that they had yet to even begin to really understand or imagine, yet that was the kind of faith they had in you. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in the first century that were able to look to the example of Jesus Christ and be emboldened to preach the gospel and to change a world, to turn a world upside down that was such a mess. Not very dissimilar from the world that we live in today. Father, I pray that we can walk away looking at this passage in Acts, really understanding what an incredible God that you are. One that would send your son to die for us, to, to raise from the grave, to give us the opportunity to be ushered into your kingdom, to have the opportunity to live life to the full now and for eternity with you in heaven. God, as we, we think about you and we think about Jesus, we think about the faithful that have gone before us, May we look to their example. May we hang on to their example and your scriptures that empower us to be fearless so we can truly live lives that will change the face of the planet that we live on. Give us the ability to be that loud minority where people really sit up and take notice of not us, but of the man we preach, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.